Hello and welcome to the Book of Lee's podcast. My name is Cara Carney and I am your host. Hello and welcome back to Book of Lee's, the Irish podcast where I interview people in Ireland that are doing something good for the planet. And the whole idea is I and you, the listeners, can take a leaf out of their book or several leaves to add to our own way of eco-friendly living. And I am delighted to finally have someone on to talk to us about donut economics. I work in the arts industry. My brain goes like moo moo. I can't understand. I just don't understand economics. It's not something I'm used to at all. And I recently met Roisin Markham at an event in Clock Jordan eco village and I was like she's the woman for the podcast so cannot wait for you guys to listen to this um oh look it's 2222 angel numbers guys manifest the future we all want so the podcast is coming out to you literally late today on the 25th of September the Monday that it was supposed to come out because I've just been chasing my tail recently usually I have a batch recorded but I had some tech issues with the last episode and uh, yeah I've just been delaying fixing them so I am delighted to have some interviews really exciting interviews now planned for the next two weeks so that I don't run into this issue and you'll have your podcast early on the Monday morning Um, So the next one will be out in two weeks time. I've been chasing my tail because I was busy doing the play that I was talking to you about last week, which is going to be ongoing. So I'm probably just going to mention that very quickly every episode. It's called The Curious Case of Albert Cashier, coming to a theatre near you. It's an amazing true life story about a transgender Irish soldier who emigrated Ireland after the famine. And there was a big court case in the US and everything about him. It's the best piece of work I have ever had the opportunity to be involved with so if you can get to it please do I'll leave a, leave a link in the show notes and everything else that Roisin mentions books or um, businesses groups she has she has such a wealth of knowledge of like community organizations and uh, yeah it's all linked in the show notes if whatever podcast platform you're listening on doesn't have that ability some some places that you listen to your podcast on doesn't allow hyperlinks but if you go on to bookofleespodcast.com you will find them there and yeah I think that's it I hope you guys enjoyed this chat please support the podcast on patreon if you can patreon.com forward slash book of leaves or on buy me a coffee if you can't that's no problem at all please give a five star review on apple Podcasts if you're listening there and if you're on spotify if you could take four seconds to just scroll down and tap five stars that would be amazing and four seconds you'll probably have a few seconds left over it's really really quick and it all helps in get the po- getting the podcast shared to more people and of course recommend it to a friend so this is a long enough episode as it is i will let roisin introduce herself and yeah if you've any questions feel free to reach out to them and yeah i'll catch you after for some quick show notes enjoy I'm a designer, a strategic designer. I work in the technology sector, but I'm described as an artist, cultural thinker, and I own the title of climate activist. I think that's really important that we own that. So my background is in technology, both at a global and local scale. And uh, I have a background in social research, community development and education as well. So that's kind of my worky work. Um, mm. I live in rural North Wexford in a place called Cahor near Ballygarish in County Wexford. And I am the steward of 12 Oaks. 
Where are these oak trees that you were stewards of and what does that mean? So we have planted nine oaks. One of our neighbours planted one and two have appeared in the garden um, as seedlings. We have just under an acre and it's in a weird triangle shape. But I did plant a lot of trees when after we were within the first year or two of being here. So they're now 16 year old trees. They mature. Um, it's like a pocket forest in one side. We've really learned things from stewarding trees and having trees in our garden and how they grow and how certain trees have to be established before they, they come in. Um, so that's been a real learning practice and really interesting. And it's an alternative way I find of introducing myself in different spaces to say that I'm a steward of 12 oaks. That's really Inika, and I think it's a really nice um use of language to say to link in with the fact that we're stewards of the earth. We don't own anything where everything is kind of rent not rented for want of a better word from future generations, borrowed. Um and you said something else really interesting there, owning the term climate activist. What do you mean by that? So I, I think that there's a lot of people trying to work on climate in around it, beside it, advocating for it. I meet uh, a lot of women in particular, maybe that's just because they open up to me more, I don't know, who are, I would describe them as climate activists, but they don't own that term themselves. Mm. I, I think that we should be, you know, if we're shown up, we should say we're shown up. And, and like, literally, I feel that we should be owning it because if I say out loud, I'm a climate activist, somebody looks at me as like a 50 year old woman who's who's like, geez, she thinks she's a climate activist. And I'm like, yeah, I am a climate activist. And I think that empowers other people to also own things that they're doing in community spaces mm. or their places of work or, or whatever they're having those conversations. There could be listeners of this podcast or there's definitely people listening who will know others that are like, oh, no, I wouldn't call myself a climate activist because they don't see themselves as being active enough. I probably only landed on that term after going to protests. But really, I've I kind of without knowing it was a climate activist for a very long time with my connection with animals and nature and being a vegetarian since I was a child and stuff like that. So that's a really I love that. Yeah, I think I think we have to own it. And I think me owning it encourages other people, whoever you are, this podcast. Big time. And so tell me, was there like a catalyst or a moment that inspired you to kind of reconnect with nature? If you're planting trees that many years ago, obviously you weren't of the many people that were inspired by the Greta Thunberg movement. You've been kind of clued in for a longer time. So what happened or was it your upbringing? Who, Who inspired you? I would partly say it was my upbringing, but so my dad grew vegetables and my mom was uh, really into um, plants and she knew the Latin names of things. She was a flower ranger and they both did a lot of community work, but my dad grew vegetables. So like I have a really early memory of being given a small space in the garden to plant vegetables and uh, the first thing I grew, I remember like the first thing I grew and I ate and it was beetroot. Mm. And I wasn't overly impressed, I have to say, but I love <laughs> um, But then there was a couple of key things. So as a teenager, um, I was really concerned about acid rain, ocean acidification. And so that was like in the early 80s, I'd say. The other, like one of the big things that I remember distinctly, like asking my dad one day when he was driving the car, I was really concerned about things like, should good agricultural land be lost to urbanisation? So I remember asking my dad that one day in the car and he nearly crashed the car because I was 
a really quiet teenager and he was like what what and at the time he was actually uh, he was a statistician in CIE and at the what, time what's that sorry a statistician so he was involved in strategic planning uh, okay, okay, okay and he was working with the EU on those kind of subjects around transportation and towns and cities and connecting those spaces anyway that that's kind of a little bit of the background, I really connect with the mm. sea, but also like at kind of a macro and a micro level. So like the landscape and really small details of like, you know, when you look at leaves or you look at a tree, the extendedness of how it's connected and how it, how it is just and how, how nature adapts. I find that fascinating. And then during COVID, the early days of COVID, I remember sitting in the garden and there being no airplanes in the sky and all my plans for studying abroad and work had evaporated. And I sat and I read the SDG goals. So they're the, the UN Sustainability Goals. And I read them and delved into them more. And then I looked at how they were going to be managed, like the key performance indicators and how we were going to know if they were successful or not. And I read through some of that and I went, how is my local, like in the village that I live in, there's like a population of 500 people and there's like a small shop. Mm. I was like, how is our local shopkeeper going to understand these goals and be able to implement them? I started thinking about that and I started looking at how they were relevant to normal people, people who run small businesses. At the time, Donut Economics Action Lab was up and was just about getting up and running. I joined, I got really curious about what they're doing. I had read Kate Rayward's book, uh, Donut Economics, How to Think Like 21st Century Economists, probably like two years before COVID had hit. It had been around and I was aware of it. But when I saw the Action Lab um, getting set up, I became a member and I started noticing other Irish people had joined. And I suggested that one or two, I suggested to another person that we meet for a virtual cuppa, like a, yeah. a happy, happy virtually, we were in COVID, we were in lockdown. And then I was like, should we open this up? And so for just over a year, I ran a weekly conversation about donut economics in Ireland. And it just happened. I didn't do it intentionally, but this network of people formed. And now I am uh, the network steward and founder of the Irish Donut Economics Network, which is a voluntary group that comes together to support people locally and nationally. And when I say people, it's I talk about places where people work, live, play and learn. So it should cover all bets, right? Yeah. Is any places outside that app? Let me know. Yeah. <laughs> I oh, I know of Kate's book and it's been on my to read list for a long time just out of curiosity and I love when chatting to other people they're like yeah well how are we gonna build a future with no capitalism Cara I'm like donut economics and they're like what's that and I'm like well it's a it looks like a donut and I like it's good for the planet but I because I haven't read the book yet I just like I know I just can't explain it I'm not very good at explaining so Imagine like if the listeners haven't heard, and also I am not an econ I can't even say the word, you hear me, economist, economist. Like when I started thinking about like systems, like I work in theatre, it's just a completely different world and my brain just goes fuzzy. I'm just real curious about this. So yeah, if you could help me and listeners know like what it is and yeah, yeah. that'd be so- great. So let's get one thing out of the way straight off. I'm not an economist either. And sometimes I catch myself describing donut economics or being asked these questions. I'm like, how did this happen? 
I've just become one of these people who stands up and explains it in Irish context and is incorrigible. So for anybody who doesn't know what it is, so if you Google Donald Economics, you typically come up with this graphic that's a circle. And there's two rings. There's the ecological ceiling and then there's the social foundation. And the space between those things, I'll talk about those things more in a minute, but the space between those things is the safe and just space for humanity to thrive in. And that space looks like a donut. And that's why it's called donut economics. So on the outer circle, the ecological foundation, earth scientists have agreed that there are nine para- nine things in the planetary boundaries in that ecological foundation. And they are climate change, ocean acidification, chemical pollution, nitrogen and phosphorus loading, freshwater withdrawals, land conversion, biodiversity loss, air pollution, and ozone layer depletion. Now, when I started talking about donut economics, we had overshot four of those planetary boundaries. We've now overshot this summer six of those planetary boundaries. And recently I heard somebody refer to them. If we think of those nine planetary boundaries as significant organs in our bodies, Six out of nine have failed. We've overshot them. And so in, in the graphic of donut economics, the overshoot is shown in red. So let's talk about the inner circle, the social foundation. So these are very much aligned to the SDGs, the United Nations Sustainability Goals. So in the inner circle, we have water, food, health, education, income and work, peace and justice, political voice social equity, gender equality, housing, networks, and energy. Now, that's what's described in Donut Economics as the social foundation. And one of the important things is that we need a strong social foundation for us to thrive and to have a good life. And we don't want anybody falling through the hole of the donut in the middle in this social foundation shortfall. So we we don't want anyone missing, like being unhoused. We don't want anyone with no access to education. Like everyone ideally should be living within the donut with all the access to things that we need to live a good life. life. And life yeah. yeah. And, and we need to be careful that the conditioning that we're currently in of what a good life is needs a radical reimagination. And we that's one of the things. So in donut economics, that's the donut, let's say. But there's a second part to donut economics that I don't think gets talked about enough. So it's important to cover them, too. Mm-hmm. And that's the seven ways to think like a 21st century economist. So this one of the things that Kate wants to do is she wants to reclaim what economics is. So economics is set up on principles from the last century. And she's like, we need new principles for this century for, you know, how we get to the future. In my own creative practice, I work with with questions. And one of the questions I've been trying to solve is like, how do we create a future worth living into? Mm. And to me, that's why I've become this advocate for Donald Economics, because it's a system framework that lets us understand more. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. So the seven ways to think like a, a 21st century economist are, one, change the goal. So moving from GDP, which is all about consistent growth, we cannot have continual growth. We need to move from that expectation that we can have continual growth. Nothing grows continuously. Nature will not grow continuously. It'll peak and then it'll die off and it'll compost and the cycle will rebuild. Even invasive plant species, 
they have a die-off, they have a point that they 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 hit where they can't go any further. Mm. We need to move from the the goal in our current societies of GDP to the donut. So embrace yeah. the twenty first century goal. That's the first. And GDP, like GDP, is a very data thing as well. I was reading Rutger Bergman's uh, Utopia for Realists um, recently, and he talks about like the universal basic income and looks at the GDP. And countries with the highest GDP could also have the highest homelessness. It does not reflect so a good you, life. Yeah, you'll see, and that's really important. So the good life. There was a piece of research done in 2018 by Leeds University and it looked all across the globe at what countries were in the donut and no country is in the donut currently, right? So what we see is that countries with high GDP, which might have a strong uh, social foundation, are overshooting the planetary boundaries. So countries Mm. like, you know, that we look to like Finland and Sweden and Norway all have huge planetary overshoots but might have a strong social foundation. Countries that have... Uh, that are within the planetary boundaries have have maybe extreme poverty issues and social shortfall within the center of the donut. But it is the actual piece of research was uh, called The Good Life and it's by Leeds University in association with Kate Rayworth and her team as well. So I think it's really interesting to look at it, but we need to move to 21st century economics, basically. Mm. And right now, I'm sharing donut economics as a possible solution and inviting. The thing about donut economics is it's invitational and it's accessible. So the second piece there is see the big picture. So not the self-contained market, but moving to an embedded economy. The embedded economy looks at what we have in terms of our household the market, the economy, society, and within the earth. But it's contained. It has a container. And it might be things like moving from solar energy, translating that into energy through the market into products and out into heat on the other side. And what that means for our communities and how we live well, but contained within the earth's boundaries. And then the third one is nurture human nature. So last century's economics are based on rational economic man who Mm. is by himself, who is me, not we, who is no family, no community, and is just completely cut off. And humans are social and adaptable creatures and we need other people. So that piece of nurture human nature is really important as a principle. Then the fourth one is get savvy with systems. So one of the things that I see, you know, you mentioned that when you start thinking about systems, your brain gets fuzzy. We aren't taught well about systems. So in the theatre space, you might think of it not just as your practice, but as the whole theatre space you're in. So everything from the lighting, the energy, the ticket sales, the marketing, that's whole, that's theatre and a performance has a system around it and behind it. Mm. The stage where the wood came from, the seats the audience sits in, how that that happens, how people come together to create that theatre, how that gets delivered in space in a performance. That's a whole system. So it isn't the performance, it isn't the practice, it isn't the writing of the words. One can't exist without the other. Yeah, and if you think about them as all being connected, like you don't all just arrive and have a successful performance. (laughs) So if you think in terms of systems, if from the theatre side of things, if you think of it like that, that might be useful. But systems are dynamic and complex. And, And it's known that once you start observing a system, it changes. So like our systems are things like, 
you know, you go online and you order a piece of clothing and it gets packaged, it gets shipped through the post to somewhere, it gets put in a container in a ship from China or on an airplane or from wherever you're buying your clothes, right? Talking vast generalizations. And then that gets sent through to the Irish postal system. It it goes through their sorting, goes through our postal system and gets delivered to the places where we have put our address on that. And that's a whole system. And we need to think about like, where did that fabric come from? Who worked on it? Have they had a, a fair just price for their garment? Has it been ethically created? Have we paid a just and fair price for that to, so that we can wear it? And when we're finished wearing it, you know, should we, can we uh, recycle the cloth? Can the cloth go back to nature? Or has it got uh, microfibers in it that actually create waste and pollution and it can't be sent back? So these are all kind of things in terms of thinking in systems that, as one example. Then the next one is designed to distribute. The belief was that growth would even out again but it doesn't even out. And what we need to move to is distributive by design. So if we can think of that as networks, so making sure that when we're designing, we're consciously building distributive practices within our design. As in like, there's not one dragon sitting at the top of the company kind of hoarding all the profits that things kind of get shared between workers and go back into the community or... Yeah, yeah. maybe from stakeholders to co-op owned... Like the idea that our food we could grow in our communities and it would be free is kind of revolution, radical revolutionary, but that is actually what food used to be. Yeah, distributed by design and really using our networks and our connections to create distributive. So at scale, that looks really different to how we run businesses and our economies now. Um, so the sixth one is create to regenerate. So one of the things that I've started speaking about recently is instead of us thinking about rubbish and waste, we should change that on our bins to materials. So when we think about throwing something out, we think about what is the next life for this particular object that we're putting in our bins. So it's that idea that when we're finished wearing something, whether we just don't like it anymore or whether, you know, we, we've changed shape and we don't want to wear it, whatever it is, or whether it's got a hole in it, that we repair it, we gift it, we uh, donate it to a charity shop, but that we don't throw it out. We don't throw it away. We look at what this product can have. What's its next life? So moving from that linear process to very much a regenerative process and buying things with that in mind is really important as well. Um, And then the last one is be agnostic about growth. We are currently addicted to growth. All of the stories we hear about growth all of the what we consider is all about growth you know what is that success thing you hear um the irish government supports startups if they're going for growth if people aren't growing for growth they're not so interested in giving them support Mm, it's not viable yeah so right now we need to be growth agnostic that's a really challenging conversation to have in businesses as well so think in systems see the big picture be distributive, nurture human nature, be regenerative, aim to thrive rather than grow, and be strategic in practice. So Kate Rayworth has this brilliant thing that she talks about, which is go where the energy is. 
I remember asking her a question on, on a, a call, a webinar with the deal community. And I was like, how do we get county councils to work with us? And she was like, don't even try. Work with the people who are ready to do the work. So I think it's really important to find who else is in action and, and partner with them and go work with them and always ask whose voice is being left out and make space for different people to join those conversations. Not being the leader, but that distributive thing is bring other people with you. Don't be the movement, share the movement. And I think as practicing principles, they're really important for how we get to where we need to go. Talking about Dumb Money, the film that I went to see in cinema yesterday, they were looking at the broken stock exchange system on Wall Street and actual car like it's just it's like the way that we all strive to be Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos we will never be them like not everybody thinks strives in that way yeah 100% but I think so many people are like they think that they are closer to being a millionaire than they're closer to being homeless but that's not that's not the case like I think the challenge is that if our society points puts Men like that on pinnacles, billionaires on pinnacles. And if we look at the integrity of how they run their businesses, if we look at the mental health of some of those people, if we look at their how they practice, how they treat their employees, we have some serious questions if that's what we're allowed to ask. Yeah. And that is definitely not how we get, in my opinion, not how we get to the future. And I know people will object to me saying that, but for me, they, there's real challenges with a society that values. Now, you've got to remember that we're looking at it from a very Western white privilege point of view, okay? Mm. So I, I want to name that and acknowledge that. But even, even as a technologist who's worked in the sector for 30 years, um, I think this is the challenge if you put like um, a human at the center of uh, the focus of the world, you create like a burning earth. That's what we yeah. So one of the things just to bring the conversation back to econo- economics is one of the things about Donut economics is that it really talks about the deep design of where we're at in the world and where we're at in the human context world. Now, again, one of my challenges is I want nature and I want other beings besides humans in that circle. So for me, I sometimes refer to you know, that that safe, just space for humanity and other beings. That's what I see. I think the challenge is that if we put our our humans at the center of everything, we need to decentralize ourselves. And I always imagine it as slightly off to the left Mm. and out of the, the central focus. We need to know that we're part of the system. We're not at the top of the system. And if we remain at the top of the system and place ourselves there, we are not going to get to do what we need to do to pull back inside of the planetary boundaries and have a good thriving life. Because social justice is critical to the delivery of climate justice. Exactly. And so- can I ask you, um, how does Donut, because obviously I, th- I know of a circular economy because right now we have something that's created we use it and as you were saying earlier kind of goes in the bin we don't treat it as material and a circular economy looks to kind of keep things going for as long as possible with secondhand fashion and repairing and reusing and that um and circular in my brain got confused with donut <laughs> economics so like he- that those are two separate things but i guess circular economy feeds into donut economics <laughs> 
I would have it as a subset within donut economics. One of the ways we deliver donut economics, because the circular economy is about keeping things, that materialicity of things, keeping it in cycle longer. So, for example, circular economy, I'm going to talk about carrots, right? So we, t- we buy an, or a, a carrot that's been grown well, that hasn't damaged the land and hasn't damaged other beings that in the space that it's grown. And the grower of that has pulled the carrot and is available to you to buy. Now, growing food is really hard. Can we be yeah. really clear? It's yeah, I try to grow carrots. They came out two inches long and like half a centimetre wide. Yeah. So <laughs> well, thank you, food growers. The idea that you can go into Little Aldi and buy a bag yeah. of carrots for under euro, that yeah. is not what it costs to grow carrots, yeah. right? So the challenge is then is to have food created, right? Then you take that carrot home. It's got a little bit of muck on it. It's got carrot tops on it and it's got the roots on it, right? You wash it. You take the carrot tops off and you peel the carrots, right? You have your carrot that you might want to eat raw or you might want to cook with or whatever. But then you have the peels and then you have the carrot tops and you can actually eat the carrot tops. They've been made into pestos or other things. Mm. You take If you scrub your carrots and, or, and peel them, then you can make, um, I've seen people make carrot peel dukkha. Um, Parcake. Yeah. yeah, you can add the peels, you can dry them, you can put them into soups, you can roast them and have them as crisps. Or what would have been done in the house that I was raised in is that you would have taken the carrot tops and the carrot peels and they would have been put in the compost heap. I mean, the idea that I live in a village of maybe, let, let's say like 300 families, some people might get their food delivered, right? So may, maybe we're down to 200 families that have 200 separate cars that go separately to Gory, the nearest biggest town with mm. like a, a supermarket and that we all buy our food separately and take it home and cook it and eat it and have waste and whatever else. If you were designing a food system, you wouldn't start there. Um, so anyway, sorry, I digress. No, not at all. No, it's all linked in. Absolutely. So the, was there something else that you wanted to add on there to, about the, the donut that you were talking about? The deep design shapes what organizations can be and do in the world. So the purpose, the networks, the governance, the ownership and the finance are really important. So how do we look at the current businesses we have and uh, in terms of our current economy and how do we support them to redesign their businesses and their products to be in the donut, to be in that system space where we're not overshooting the planetary boundaries and we're respecting the social foundation and no one is falling through the the hole in the middle of the donut. And have you got any answers to that question? (laughs) I'm working on that. And and that's that's what my activism is, right? The piece for me is, so currently IDEN, the Irish Donut Economics Network, IDEN. So I'm having conversations with businesses, with county councils, with communities. Last week, we ran a Dublin 7 Donut Day, which had uh, 40 plus people from the local area and national organisations like Focus Ireland. Really interesting mixture um, of people in the room. We offered a workshop in the morning called Step Into the Donut, which is a really fantastic, active, engaged practice that is a soft introduction to donut economics. It's 45 minutes, 10 hour long. I'd encourage 
anybody listening to this podcast to go to the Donut Economics Action Lab website or Google Step Into the Donut and you'll find the instructions. You can deliver that workshop anywhere you choose. All the instructions are there. It's all created in the Creative Commons. If you want some support to deliver that, you can reach out to the Irish Donut Economics Network. That workshop Amazing. takes Donut Economics from being a brain thing into being thing it's amazing it's really about moving through those ideas and really bringing it as an invitational practice people walked around and talked about you know what they were relating to what was coming up for them and then we asked the community what else they would add so things that tend to be missing although networks is included it doesn't quite cover community so often community is one thing that's added to the social foundation Care work was another thing that was added, which was really interesting to see. Spiritual and divine was added, which is also really interesting to see from an Irish context or from any uh, belief system or non-belief system. So one of the things that you do is that you share the knowledge um, with the community, you offer it as engaging space, and then you create a structure around that. And then these little groups form to talk about how you bring those ideas from post-it notes into first step actions. What might those 2030 donut, Dublin 7 donut stories be? What might they be? And that's the approach that we took. There are six projects coming out of that donut economics uh, Dublin 7 day, which is fantastic. Let's be really clear, right? So I I think one of the things um, we need to do is we need to talk about how we get our own agency to do things, right? Yeah. So I've been running this national conversation about donut economics. I've ended up talking to politicians. I've ended up talking to getting to councils, as I've said. I had the pleasure of co-keynoting with Kate Rayworth at Environ 2021, where I got to share that keynote on brilliant wow. thrive in the donut. And she spoke about donut economics and I spoke about um I spoke about Ireland being in the donut and that's up and available if people want to to look at it. So I've been hosting these national conversations and that idea of how we bring movement and agency to different places is really important. So I've been involved in lots of this volunteerism and I've been finding it really hard to bring this this conversation to my local village and to our local community, right. Wexford Environmental Network. So don't get me wrong. It's hard. It requires yeah. you to build your own community around yourself, find people who are interested in the things you're interested in, support them. They support you. Practice like radical collaboration, right? That's what we need. I'm hoping to start that conversation in Gory before the end of the year. I've put some things in place that should be able to support that. But I'm I'm looking for ways of constantly, how do I bring this conversation, not just to the big town near me, but to the little village near me. But I am also looking at how I bring the conversation about climate more succinctly into my employer, for example. Yeah. So if anyone is interested and like you're get your your sparking um ideas in their brains are how can people like get in touch with you or Iden for like yeah any kind of guidance or tips Yeah I think just uh we have a website I'll put 
send it to you for your show notes. Yeah. Um, we're still on Twitter X and there are some reservations about that. We do. So we have a website and a Slack channel and I'll send you a link if people want to join. Perfect. The idea is um, that we will have like, an, we do have an email list, but it's infrequent. There's one due to be sent out. Um, but we took a siesta over like the summer and we'll be getting back on track with re- more regular digital meetings. And then there's opportunities to engage at, in different spaces. Yeah, people can find them below. And then I guess you already gave us some lovely kind of leaves or suggestions, I guess, when it came to tree stewardship and and donut economics, of course, as well. Have you any other leaves to offer people suggestions? It doesn't have to be related to donut economics. It could be anything, even though everything is related to donut economics. <laughs> yeah, in my mind, anyway. So there's, there's a couple of things. Um, I Recently, I attended a webinar on how to be a climate advocate. Um, it was run by Work on Climate, which is this huge organization that's set up by ex-Googlers. They have an amazing Slack channel. Oh, wow. Um, really interesting work. Um, again, I'll share that with you. But they ran a webinar, how to be a climate advocate without changing your job. And it was so interesting, this idea that you don't have to work on climate. You can yeah. do your job and advocate uh, for climate within a business that you're already in, I think is really interesting. Mm. And like because of, of the fact that I've been running the Irish Donuts Economics Network, I know that there are conversations going on in tech companies in Dublin, that where Dublin is their global head office for global tech companies. And they're talking about donut economics inside in their business. I know of utility companies in Ireland that employ um over 8,000 people in Ireland that are starting to use, like, like talk about donut economics and trying to see how they can work with it within mm. their organisations. The Dublin City Council have a councillor who's really active in bringing donut economics into Dublin City Council, which is amazing. And she's working with directly with the Donut Economics Action Lab that Kate Rayworth is a co-founder of. So you don't need to be working in the environmental sector to make this happen, like to, where you are, where you're working... Yeah. Like so yeah, the very practically, I came across an app recently, and I think it's potential to be brilliant. It's called Herd H U R D, and what it does is it it asks you a set of questions. So you, you it'll say to you how much time do you have, and you can say ten minutes, fifteen minutes, and it'll go through a set of questions, and it rates your employer, not you your employer so it's the potential to be like the glass door for sustainable brands and not greenwashed and it writes them for head heart and action it's really interesting really recommend i'm not connected to it i've just seen it and i've i've basically answered a load of questions i think i spent 45 minutes answering questions (laughs) and what i think it has the potential to be a game changer because if we as employees if we as as people who buy things, people who work, people who are attending university or, or schools or whatever it is, we need to demand more. And so that's one of the things that I also talk about is use your public voice, use agents, mm. join Fridays for the Future protests. And um, if you, the other thing I heard recently on a podcast was join a group. That's really important. And if you, there isn't a group locally where you are, start one. Um, yeah. I'd really encourage people to, to do that. Like, I really believe there's space for everyone and we need everybody to show up and start now. <laughs> if yeah. you're involved. 
Um, and I think it's also really behoven on anybody like running a, a group or um, meetings is to make space for new people, especially people who show up and they aren't quite sure what to do. I was listening to one of your podcasts. Um, it was after the Mary Robinson um, conference. Mm-hmm interviewed one of the climate activists and she was like she was like yeah I showed up and I just I just got in and started doing stuff and I I think that it's really important that we invite people in and and we make them welcome and you know yeah no you're so right because I would have been of the similar kind of um personality as Jessica like I would have been able to I showed up to Extinction Rebellion by myself and was like how can I help and got involved but that is not the majority even if it if it was that minority we would still you know if there's shy people who who come or they just they you know some people need to be kind of approached in a friendly way and be like hey like welcome to every every new person that comes to your group because I've seen this in kind of other kind of environmental things and I'll kind of step in and then do the be the induction person or whatever because you're so right it's so important because if people don't feel welcome or included or some people can just feel a little lost or overwhelmed and it'll put them off coming back that is it is so important to be mindful that not everybody has got the personality type or whatever you want to call it to just inject themselves in they they need a kind of like perhaps like a helping hand for want of a better term to bring them in and kind of show them what needs to be done or encourage them yeah and and on that it's really important so I I practice like a trauma-informed approach to the design work Mm. that I do so I think it's really important when people show up in climate spaces they can be in deep grief right and Mm. it can be one of it's for some people it's their last resort because they don't know what else to do but if we're if we're mindful of that, that no matter how somebody shows up in that space, welcoming them in, welcoming them into that space is really important. Everybody has a space, but again, we need to find our spaces. Um, last or at the beginning of this year, I organised a couple of craftivist meetups for people across Ireland interested in using craft as activism, and the slogan that we like kind of met under was even quiet work roars even quiet work roars that's lovely yeah so not all activism is shouty like look at submissions argue about things that you want in write to your tds yeah again i think like we're, we're coming into a general election making sure that people have are like like this is detailed but like you know signed up to vote is going to be really important um hostings are going to be really important i think anybody knocking at your door have your full like lists of what you want to discuss and uh, mm-hmm. i think that's going to be incredible and so when i say use your public voice public voice is one of those things within the social foundation and i think in ireland we need to be better at using our public voice it's like that thing of calling out racism it's like yeah. that thing of showing up in spaces as allies not just, you know, agency for ourselves, but for agency for like the river that doesn't have a voice or the mm. mountain or somebody who's excluded from those conversations. Yeah, we're, we have an awful habit of Irish people worrying about what the neighbours will think. So we just stick with the status quo. But deep in our hearts, we're rebels and we, we've, we're poets and artists and we've 
were also really influential. Our tiny island has millions of people across the world that identify with us in some way, shape or form. So there's so much potential there. Absolutely. The other thing is, I just want to say, is food waste is our biggest greenhouse gas issue in the EU. Wow, yeah. We've got to tack- it's really unsexy to talk about, but we've got to tackle it. So, you know, learning how to cook, learning how to make food, how to shop for food, how to shop within a budget. These are things that some of us know, but there are those of us that don't know that. I think also if you live by yourself, you know, being part of a friends group or a community group where you shop together and cook for each other so that you're looking at cooking waste at scale and economies of like, then you're also tackling things like loneliness or I'm not going to cook myself something and like convenience food versus real food, um, Mm. nutrition. I think they're really important things. So where you cook, how you cook, share your shopping, food and eating together. I think that we need to challenge how we feed ourselves, how we nurture ourselves as well. And with the whole thing of like reducing food waste yeah no but it's so because we just we're in we're very privileged here that we can go to the supermarket and access a whole bag of carrots for less than a euro and um then we we just kind of don't think about it at all like we yeah the system is very much broken but there are very creative ways and I like that you kind of linked in there like cooking and eating with other people you know like that's just not something that I think people think about when food waste they think banana bread but what if you you know you involve your friends and we all love yeah not to this banana bread not to this banana bread but no there's like yeah you like you were saying this is a donut economics and I guess building the future we want it's all about like imagination like like how how do we get there and think outside the box and think outside the very oppressive norms that we've built and on that note so I've been taking a leaf out of Rob Hopkins um book uh which i i love his book from what is to what if the power of imagination to change the world has which really impacted me in a lovely positive way and i would recommend that for people who haven't read it yet but he has a podcast where he he basically his guests will time travel to the future and talk about the thing so they could be talking about introducing wolves or don't economics whatever it is universal basic income and what that future looks like and then how we get there so in that vein of things, Roisin, we're going to imaginatively transport ourselves into the future. Could be 50, 100, 300 years in the future. But this future, oppression has been eliminated there. Don't know economics is a thing. Maybe it's even a better model, but like we have our social foundations. We haven't, we're not overshooting our planetary boundaries. You can either paint a picture of this if you like, or you can just tell us some of your favorite things about this future this future that you're seeing now so when I think about what we've achieved to bring every being back into a safe just space for humanity and nature within the planetary boundaries I smile I think I think of the place that we get to as being the world is kinder we're kinder we've slowed down we've time for connecting sharing things we don't all need to own, growing food, tending to our place and each other. We've learned how to have discussions, to disagree and not fall apart. We've learned local decision-making and governance. Ownership has changed. We have shaped belonging so everyone is welcome. And well-being is now our measure 
of how our community thrives, as do I. Beautiful. I mean, can you say it any better than that? I don't think so. So what a beautiful future to strive towards. Roisin, I can't thank you enough for sharing that with us and for all the work that you're doing. What a beautiful, beautiful imagining of the future. I absolutely love that. And I actually forgot to say at the start as well that I was at VegFest over the weekend. So yesterday, a vegan food festival, but it's more than that. It's not just food. Um, it's full of small businesses and talks about the future that we want and how to fix the broken systems that exist all around in our society today. And it's just a, such a hopeful event. So I had an amazing time there and uh, facil- I facilitated a talk with uh, NARA, National Animal Rights Association, with VCONS, with Animal Rebellion and with uh, Jake Conroy, I think his second name, who has the, the name The Cranky Vegan on his socials. Um, and it was a really amazing, lovely, powerful talk and enjoyable, even though what we were talking about, climate change and animal activism uh, is quite stark. But there are ways that we can communicate and enjoy ourselves while while doing so. So, yes, thank you so much to everyone who showed up at VegFest. And if you found the podcast because of that, welcome. And yeah, I hope you stick around. And it was just a lovely, beautiful example of loads of small businesses that aren't striving on growth, that have that kind of already donut economic model where they care about their their employees it was just a, it's just a beautiful atmosphere and there are loads of businesses like that that exist in Ireland fairly is one it's a zero waste irish shop run by james and own and i remember i don't know if i read an article or if i heard them on another podcast but growth is not their model they are happy to reach a certain kind of size as as a small um enterprise and not you know branch out and have like chains everywhere of this zero waste shop that's not that's just not what they're about they just want enough to kind of like live by and I love that and we need to foster that more so if you have a small business in your area whether you're in the middle of Dublin or you're in the middle of the countryside please do support your small grocers the farmers markets you know they they need our support as much as possible um share and spread the word of mouth of any markets or events that are happening and let people know and it's a lovely communal way to kind of hang out as well and just talk about where your food is coming from and everything like donut economics I have come to learn encompasses everything everything that we're like is part of our life not just consuming but that we interact with it's all it's all interlinked so yeah I hope you guys enjoyed this chat if there's any topics that you'd like me to cover or people you'd like me to interview in future please do let me know and yeah hopefully I'll see some of you at the play that I'm doing at the moment the curious case of Albert Cashier so yes thank you for listening and I will be back in two weeks time with another episode hopefully earlier in the day than this so usually i'd say have a good day but now it's night time but if we're listening in the morning good morning and just have a great week okay that's enough for me okay bye 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 bye